0: Thanks for checking out this message from City on a Hill Church International. For ways to connect and get involved in the life of our church, please go to our website coah.co.za Well then, we won't, we won't read the whole chapter, we'll just get started. And um, so as we saw last week, just a quick recap of chapter 1, um, as, as the whole scene gets set for, for Romans... Um, one of the key uh, verses in that chapter is Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation Mm -hmm. and that's going to be the theme throughout he's showing the power of the gospel of Christ, Mm -hmm. the cross uh, and um, justification by faith, uh, righteousness and so on Um, righteousness I always battled with that, that word and that understanding but righteousness is perfectly right it's perfectly holy it's perfectly good so when we talk of a righteous God we're talking of someone who's absolutely righteous and our relationship was broken with God and Jesus has died to bring us back into fellowship. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So Jesus died to repair that rift between us and God. And the only way that you and I can have a relationship with God is if we become righteous. That's as simple as it is, right? So nobody can stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God On their own merit. We agree. So that's what you're going to see in Romans. And this is the the absolute epicenter of Christian salvation. Is that Jesus stands in our place. He dies our death. He pays our punishment. He takes our punishment upon himself. And he breaks that. He breaks the power of sin. And he gives us his righteousness. So you and I can literally stand in the courts of heaven totally unashamed. Not because we're good, but because he's perfectly good. And he has has conferred his righteousness upon us. That's why I love that term, clothed. I think Isaiah uses the term clothed in righteousness. It's like the prodigal son, isn't it? He, all he wants to do is just get back home and say, Dad, I'll be, I'll be a servant, right? And what does the father do? He brings a, 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 a cloak, a robe to put on him. It's a robe of righteousness. In yourself, you've wasted your life, you've messed up. But now you've repented and you've come home. You've come home. You're not going to be a slave. And now you are clothed. You, you've got the, the signet ring. The, 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 you are the picture of sonship. And not because you deserve it, but because of the grace of God. So that theme is going to go throughout Romans. And that's, that's the essence of, of, of Romans. And that's the essence of the gospel, uh, which sets our gospel apart from any other gospel in the world, is that God became one of us to redeem us, to make us righteousness, to make us righteous and to be righteous in a personal relationship with God, completely unhindered. So, we, we know that uh, Paul talks about us um, getting, becoming righteous by faith. Then we saw last week how the wrath of God is against all sin and all ungodliness. All, absolutely all. And uh, he says, man became futile in their thinking. We spoke briefly about how Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. And God gave them over to their... To, to their ways and it was an absolute disaster the result was a complete breakdown of of human behavior and there's that that whole list in chapter one uh, absolutely gross and that's the backdrop now to chapter two so you remember i said last week when there's a therefore you've got to ask what it's there for so it's like a math i was really doff at math so uh, it's a bad example for me to use but I believe in mass they can say X plus Y equals this, therefore. Okay, that's about all I can do. <laughs> so that's what Paul's saying. He said, I've given you the scenario. I've given you man's condition. I've spoken of the righteousness of God. I've spoken of the wrath of God. Now, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you, who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So we're going to see in this chapter, um, because of this major breakdown in um, our relationship with God, um, God's judgment has been stirred up. And as we said last week, God's judgment is against ungodliness. God's judgment isn't against man (laughs) as such. He still loves man. But he hates the sin That separates man from him. Um, So, this chapter is mainly about about judgment. It's quite a heavy chapter, actually. And you remember I said last week, Paul is building a case like a lawyer, okay? So, chapters one, two, and three are very strong and showing the negative side and the consequences of man's sin and how everything is is out of whack. And then he's going to get into. wonderful wonderful answer and for the rest of the book he'll massage that he'll massage that in so now it's interesting so paul says you have no excuse O man every one of you who judges now remember jesus said in matthew chapter 7 verse 1 judge not lest you yourself be judged because with the judgment you will be judged so that's like a almost like a universal law and isn't it interesting? Now, this is a psychological fact. How incredible that you and I generally judge people of things that we are actually guilty of ourselves. It's weird, but it's, but it's true. And as you're going to see in this chapter, Paul is addressing us generally, but you'll see that he's specifically speaking to the Jewish people. His kinsmen, as he says later on in, in, in the book of Romans, Um, remember that Paul is a Jew and he's speaking first and foremost to his kinsmen, to the the, the brothers he loves and he's wanting to show how far they've missed it because they've got the law. They are God's chosen people and he's saying to them and of course to all of us, um, don't don't judge. So here's this terrible picture in, in in Romans one, and it's so easy for the religious person to stand outside of that and say, "Yeah, I know those guys are really evil," and it's so easy for the Jews to say, "Yeah, I know you guys, you're really missing it. You really are bad." Paul says, "Don't judge," and you're going to see how through this chapter he's going to. Um, he's going to address himself to the Jews and then to everybody. Um, What he's saying to the Jews, your national identity will not get you off the hook. Isn't that amazing? You are part of God's covenant community. But if you, the Jew, are not living by faith, you're missing it. You know, we, we, we kind of miss that sometimes. We think that just... All the Jews, circumcised, uh, following the law, they're God's people. Paul, Paul's going to say in, in this chapter, you are a Jew by the heart and not just by the law. So he's saying, be careful when, when you judge. As I said, it's a psychological fact that we criticize criticized other people. So the O oh man, um, therefore you have no excuse, O oh man. Um, I think he's talking to the, to the Jews. And what you're going to find in this chapter is that with God there's no partiality. You're going to see as we go through this that every one of us is under scrutiny. Uh, In other words, every one of us is under God's magnifying glass. All will be judged. And there are two two kinds of sinners. There's the respectable sinner and the unrespectable sinner. And what we saw in chapter 1 was the unrespectable sinner. The flagrant, the, the, the over-the-top, everything's out in the open. These horrible, horrible people. But that's, that's only one side of the coin, isn't it? Because if you are not born again, positionally, positionally, you're exactly the same as them. I'm sure we know that. People who live a nice life, Mass moral life, they, they are not born again. They're in the same category. It's just the fruit is a little more, a little more difficult. There's um, the respectable and the not so respectable. Now, um, let's have a look at verse 4. So he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet uh, do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or, this is the verse now, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, Most of us know the second part of that verse. The kindness of God leads to repent. And it's wonderful because that's exactly what happens. God is so kind that we are living this despicable, horrible life away from Him, cut off from Him. But He He shows us kindness. He extends extends salvation. And and by His grace, He saves us. But now look at the first part of this, um, this text. So presumption. It's, it's assuming that God's kindness will let you off the hook. You know, it, it's, let's say there's, there's a youngster. Um, he knows that if he gets caught, his dad's got a connection in the police force. So when he's living recklessly, he presumes that because his dad's got connections, he can get the speeding fine or he can get the drunk driving fine. And actually, he presumes that his father will get him off the hook. And that's what presumption is. So he's saying, he's saying to God's people, you are taking God's kindness for granted. And you thinking that just because he's kind, he's going to excuse you. That's what he's saying. And you'll see, as, as Paul goes on, nobody, nobody can presume anything. Except those whose hearts have been made right with God through repentance. So I just looked at these three words. Kindness is just absolute graciousness. That's what kindness is. Then this word forbearance, I'm using the ESV. So from time to time, we'll look at some of these big words and just um, see what they actually mean. Forbearance is tolerance. Now, it's fascinating when you watch parents. I'm always amazed of the tolerance level that some parents have. Like, Johnny, don't do that. No, 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 he carries on. Johnny, I told you, don't do that. By the third time, you're ready to give him a smack. But no, Johnny, come now, my boy. <laughs> That's tolerance, okay? And so Paul says, um, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? This absolute tolerance. God is tolerating man's wickedness. And patience is, uh, I love this word, by the way, in Greek, it's macrothumia. As you know, macro means big, doesn't it? Macrothumia means massive, massive patience. Not just patience, massive patience. God is massively patient with a sinful world. Um, So now, that's what Paul's saying. He says, um, or do you presume on the the riches and kindness of God? It's exactly what he says later on in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, shall we sin that grace may abound? You see, that's presumption. I can live as I like. I'm a Christian, but I can behave as I like because you know what? God's kind. God's loving. And he will forgive me anyway. And I know people like that who, who, who are so into the grace message that grace actually lets you off the hook because God is just so wonderfully kind. But you see, there's another, another side to the coin. Yes, God is absolutely gracious. But He's also a God of righteousness. And He's a God of accountability. And that's what judgment's about. It's about accountability, as we'll see as we go on. Um, so, the wrath of God should fall on us. But because of the, the kindness of God, we are getting a chance to repent. And I might have said this last week, but judgment has been falling on the earth from day one, right? Um, This world is chaotic because of that broken, the fractured man is fractured, the earth is fractured, the whole system is fractured. And um, God is just so kind, extending his hand all the time. And the wrath of God has been falling. And as I mentioned last week, when you come to Revelation, you've got the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. You've got this crescendo of judgment. There are judgments right now happening in the world. uh, where God God has said to guys, okay, you want to do that, now do it. And it's got terrible consequences. And so in a way, it looks like the world's out out of control, but God's ultimately in control. And God will allow these things. And remember, all the time what He's looking for. He's looking for repentance. Oh, this is a real cruel God. No, he's allowing the heat to rise so that people will turn and repent. That's what he's after. He's after repentance. He's, he's after man's heart. Now, he says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, impenitent means unrepentant, okay? Be- but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, this is a very, a very telling verse about God's wrath. Okay? Remember we said last week, Wrath is orge, which is God's divine anger against sin. He, his, his righteous indignation against sin. So Paul says you're actually storing up wrath. So listen to what he's saying. If you're going to live an unrepentant life, it's like putting something on the stove. You know, when the recipe says, just let it simmer for 20 minutes. So what's happening at the moment is a simmering. And I think this happens on an individual level and on a corporate level. The pot is on the stove. And Paul is saying, listen, if you don't, repent, that simmering, because as you know, if you leave it on too long, what's going to happen? It's going to boil over, that's the thumos, and it's just simmering away, and, and, and Paul's lightning sin, and this unrighteous behavior, just like this, it's like a, a simmering pot, he says, you are storing up, um, and one day it's going to boil over, now, he says, you are um, storing up wrath For yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So God's righteous judgment is His absolute fair judgment. It's not like God's being unfair. It's it's His fair judgment because the wages of sin is death. That's the fair judgment. That is why you'll see as you study Romans that the cross is actually like a scunder, It's an absolute scandal that a righteous saviour a righteous man, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, should die for the dregs of the world. That's the scandal of the cross. And so now the Jews understood the day of wrath. They, they understood very clearly through all the prophets. The prophets spoke about the day of the Lord. And that's the day of wrath. That's that moment when, um, when, when God's, where, where, where the simmering pot Is going to boil boil over and um, it's going to have terrible consequences. They understood the day of the Lord and Paul's saying, and this would be pretty challenging to the Jew because he knew about the day of the wrath. And you know, it's very sobering, isn't it? Because we don't always think of judgment, do we? Excuse me. But we'll see just now, we are going to be judged. As Christians, we're going to be judged, but we'll see in a while what that entails but we don't we don't we don't think of judgment we don't think of accountability and you know jesus constantly spoke about accountability the whole thing of the talents isn't it you're going to have to come back and say what did you do with your talents there's an accountability and um, we're going to stand before him one day Um, so a day will come when god will judge the wicked and that, of course, is carried over to the New Testament. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, every, every man, meaning woman as well, are going to face judgment. Second Corinthians 5 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due For what he has done in the body whether good or evil now here's a quote from michael eaton he says sins covered by the blood of jesus will not be mentioned but they won't be rewarded either you know this is something that we don't think about very much in the christian faith we've got this one-dimensional view of salvation i'm dead to sin i'm made alive i've come alive in christ I live my life on this plane here on earth and when I die, I go to heaven and there I live forever. A biblical view of our life is we're dead to sin, we get made wonderfully alive. I'm now born again. I'm alive in God. I'm in the journey of faith. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. I'm being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And then I'm living for His glory. And I have an inheritance in this life. But I also have an inheritance in the next life. And you know what one of our problems is, I think? We've got a wrong view of heaven. You know, this thing about spirits being with God in heaven is unbiblical. It's actually Platonism. You see, the Platonists, the Greek Platonists, they believe the body was just matter that was evil. And they couldn't wait to get their spirit to escape their body and be in a place of peace. So, that picture of heaven is not biblical. We are going to have glorified bodies. We we are not escaping anything. We're just going to be made complete. And you know the wonderful thing is, There's a lot we don't know about the next life. But we've been given a good chunk. Haven't we? Jesus rose from the dead. He smashed up body on Friday. Was perfectly restored on Sunday. Bar the the scars. We had a taste of eternal life. John says that which we've touched and handled jesus they could see him they could talk to him physically he sat with him he broke bread with him remember the Emmaus journey so we've got some kind of a grasp it's not these spirits playing harps on clouds this this very very weird kind of spiritual ether kind of thing and we we, we are, should be living for an inheritance we don't have time to go into that but uh, Inheritance is spoken of again and again and again in the the Bible. And it's quantified by Jesus. Great is your reward in heaven. And so he he quantifies a lot of it. And so we're not just living here on this plane, doing our best, and then we we slip up and and it's all fine. No, we can lose our reward. That's that's the challenge. We can lose our reward. Paul, Paul talks in the Corinthians, about escaping through the flames. Remember, he says, if you've um, built on precious stones, or with wood, hay, and stubble, what does he say? The fire is going to test it. And when the fire comes, what are you left with? It's only the precious stones that are left. So He says, you, you, you kind of, you just get in, your tail feathers are singed, and whew, you've got in. But there's no, there's no great reward. And I don't know how all the reward works out. But clearly the scripture talks about living for inheritance. Living for the reward. Getting prepared for eternity. And so Michael Eaton says, sins covered by the blood of Jesus will not be mentioned, but they will not be rewarded either. Sins that require confession will be exposed. I find this a very sobering thing. I like to believe that if my accounts with my Heavenly Father are up-to-date, that I'm living a cleansed life. Because that's what Michael Eaton is saying, and and I believe that to be true. The only things that can be judged are the things I haven't repented of, that haven't been cleansed. Because the moment I confess, Jesus cleanses and forgives. So for me, my challenge... My personal challenge is I want to be up to date in my accounts with God. Yes, I'm righteous. He's made me righteous. I'm absolutely right before Him. And I had nothing to do with it. It's His absolute goodness and mercy. I am right. But when I stand before Him one day, I'm going to give an account of my life. And the older you get, the more account you're going to have to give. And... um, To me, it's a very sobering thing. I know, I think it was Archie Kendall, uh, Michael Eaton's very close friend, also a wonderful preacher. He said, just imagine if on the Day of Judgment there are TV screens all over the place and they just kind of connect you and there's Malcolm's life. Imagine. I think it's scary. (laughs) But that which has been cleansed by the blood won't be there. Someone else, more in the DVD days, He said, imagine a DVD of your life being splashed up on the screen. And there's Malcolm, blah, blah, blah. blah, And boom, there's just a blank spot. You know, know, like when you know they're editing the video. And and there's a blank spot. Hey, what's happening here? No, no, that was something cleansed by the blood. So you don't see it. And then it goes on. And then another blank spot that's been cleansed by the blood. Does that make sense? So Paul talks about the fruit of righteousness. We're going to pick that up. So I'm, I'm righteous. I've been made righteous by the sheer mercy and grace of God. Jesus has conferred His righteousness on me. I am as Jesus. That may blow your mind, but I am as Jesus in God's eyes. Not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. That makes sense, because this is the center of salvation. But am I living with the fruits of that righteousness? That's the key. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit are. When, when you've been made righteous, and you've been reconnected with your Father, and you're living in the Spirit, there's an outcome to the faith, and there's righteous, righteous things that come out. Your, your character, your personality, um, exhibits the righteousness of God. So we will all face the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He's he's our measuring rod. And um, we will be judged by him. And he says says here in verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, that's the opposite of being righteous, there will be wrath and fury. That's a very sobering sobering, um, scripture. He will render to each one according to his works. The thing about God's judgment is it's righteous. It's absolutely fair. Um, Paul says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But His judgment is also for all. Now, there are three categories of judgment. Now, for the Jews, and I forgot to mention this last week, there is what we call special revelation and general revelation. So when we read in chapter 1, where, where Paul says no man is without excuse because the very heavens reflect God's nature. So people who have never heard the gospel, can they go to heaven? Can they have eternal life with God? The answer is yes, because God is absolutely fair. We will be judged according to the light that has been given to us. If God was not if God was not righteous, then, then those people would be in a disadvantage. Yeah. But because God is righteous, He's absolutely fair. He will only judge people according to the light given to them. That sounds right, doesn't it? But for those who have um, special revelation, special revelation. So general revelation is conscience. Uh, a great philosopher, Immanuel Kant said, the starry heavens above and the moral law within drive me to God. That's the man who's not even a Christian, but he's saying there's a moral law in the universe. How, How come people who know nothing about God have got morality? Because they're created in the image of God and He's given them a conscience and they live by that conscience and they... That they, they respond that way. So there's general revelation. People look at a glorious sunset and say, wow, there, there's got to be, someone must have done this. There must be a maker. There must be something. You know? That's general revelation. Special revelation is through the word and through Jesus Christ. And so for the Jews, they had special revelation. God revealed himself personally to the people of Israel. They were called. And um, he gave them revelation with great signs and wonders. They, they knew what the blood of the Lamb was all about. Um, for the pagan, it's gen- general revelation, as I've just shared now, their conscience and so on. And for the Christian, we also have special revelation because of Jesus. And so that's why Paul says we are without excuse. What, what we will be judged for? For the pagan, they'll be judged for unbelief. The unrepentant sinner is accumulating wrath. Best we live with good, good accounts. Now, for the Christian, it's not, it's not in or out. We're saved, we're in. But we will be, be judged for our works. We'll be give an account for our life and our works. Um, one of the scholars, uh, Robert Mount, says, works don't save us, faith does. Our works show our faith uh, judges, that God judges by how much uh, difference it makes in how a person actually lives. And Michael Eaton says, faith enables the godly life, and it is the godly uh, or ungodly life that is judged, not the faith itself. Timothy Keller's got a very nice way of putting it. He says, the apples on an apple tree prove life but they don't provide life. The apples on an apple tree prove life. There's an apple that's alive, but they don't provide life. And so we can say we're Christians, but is the fruit of righteousness coming out? Our works will be judged. Um, the outcome of our faith will be judged. Um, Michael Eaton says, it's not about our justification. We've passed judgment already. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Do you realize that? Jesus was judged. Jesus entered so into our experience that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To me, that is the absolute epicenter of, of, of the work on the cross. Is where Jesus knew experientially what it means to be cut off from God. He knew it. And that, that is absolutely key to understanding salvation. Jesus entered into our lostness 100%. He knew what it meant to be cut off from God. I find that very powerful. But He took our judgment because the wage of sin is death. He took our death and He broke that power. And so when we put our faith in Him, our judgment has already happened. And now, Now the challenge is to walk by faith, to walk in the righteousness we have, and to bear fruits of righteousness, because we'll be accountable one day. So, we'll be judged according to our thoughts, our hidden secrets, um, and those sins that have sidestepped the blood of Christ. And it's interesting that um, Ainsley had that word tonight about the heart best we just get before God open our hearts and get very real with God because sometimes we think God doesn't see Psalm 139 where can I go from your presence I'm sorry I've shared the Keller quote with you which I think is really great so we render good and we render for bad Uh, for the good to those who by patience in well doing seek for glory, honour and and immortality, he will give eternal life. This is now a very interesting scripture. So that's verse 8. But for those who oh, sorry, that are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fear. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, because he's had revelation, and also the Greek. But now listen to this in verse 10. But glory and honor and peace... For everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Um, And this is a very interesting scripture. Um, Because we're told, we mustn't seek for glory because we're here to glorify God. Right? Now Paul says, actually, for those who seek glory, who seek honor... They'll be given eternal life. They'll be be given this wonderful quality of life. So so what is he he actually saying? So so let me just go through these quickly. So for the good, those who um, by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor. On the negative side, for the bad, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. Then there'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. This is not talking about self-glory. This is about us seeking God's glory. This is about us seeking to honor God. And and, and that's the walk of faith. We are here to honor God. So let's see something here. Um, then Paul gets into this whole thing of being. Hearers of the word and not doers only. Um, verse 12 For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So God will only judge you according to what you've what you've received. Um, we've spoken about the general revelation, our conscience. Um, and then he says in verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are who will be justified. And here he's talking about Christian behavior. Because once you've been justified, you've been completely and utterly let off the hook. Someone has said, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Because you are now counted as righteous. And we'll go into that as Paul uh, un- unlocks that for us. Um, remember what James says in James 1.23 but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks um, intently at his natural face in the mirror, and then forgets who he's seen. <laughs> and Paul goes into that whole thing. If you've got faith, there must be works. We don't work for our salvation. But our faith expresses works that glorify God. Um, Verses 14 to 15, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse um, or even excuse them. Now, in, in English, we've got this saying, he's a law unto himself. But we use that negatively, don't we? Uh, he's just a law to himself. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, he's saying to the Jews, guess what? The Gentiles don't even have the law. But they're a law to themselves, but in a good way. They are obeying the law without having the law. That's what he's saying. And how are they doing it? By their conscience. And that's why he's showing up the Jews. And you must understand, Paul loves the Jews. He's a Jew. He loves his people. Further on in Romans, there's this amazing verse where he says, I wish that I myself could be cut off so that my kinsmen could be saved. I mean, that's a radical thing to say. I'd rather lose my salvation and let my kinsmen be saved. That's how desperate he felt for the Jews. And he says, guys... The Gentiles are a law to themselves because they are obeying their heart. They are listening to the conscience that God has put into them and their behavior is better than yours and you guys have had the law. Um, So the law is written on their hearts. People can still respond to God through through general revelation. Um, So now, now Paul says, if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law. You need to boast in God. Um, so he says in verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous but uh, before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Um, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature they do what the law requires, They are a law to themselves. And that's what we've just seen now. And he says in verse 15, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of the men by Christ Jesus. So, if you call yourself a Jew, boast in God, know His will, approve what is excellent he says you lead the blind you are a light to those in darkness you are an instructor to the foolish you're a teacher of children you have the embodiment of knowledge and truth So, what he's saying is you've got the revelation God's revealed himself so powerfully to you you've got the law you've got the prophets you've got this wonderful revelation and he says to them but do you not teach yourself you're telling everybody remember verse verse one judge not lest you be judged he says you guys are boasting in all these things but he says do you not teach yourself doesn't that sound just like religion you know you know someone said we are all pharisees in the process of healing (laughs) it's so easy to see people who got things wrong but i mean that's what religion does it's pointing fingers so do you not teach yourself You say don't steal. Do you steal? You say don't commit adultery. Do you? You say don't worship idols. Do you rob temples? What he means by that is the the Jewish people despise the pagan temples. But it's almost like he's saying but you're happy to use their utensils and stuff from a temple (laughs) but you despise the temple so you guys are a bit schizophrenic. So he says in verse 24, he says you who boast in the law Dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of uh, God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So what is he saying? He's saying, you guys, the the Gentiles are looking at you, breaking God's law. You've had revelation, and you are blaspheming God by your completely living uh, opposite to the law. You're not living as righteous people. You're not living as God's covenant people. And it's like a blasphemy to the Gentiles who don't have the law. So can you see how strong this this legal case is building? (laughs) And Paul's on a journey. He's taking us somewhere. Um, That's the outcome. The name of God is, is blasphemed. You know... when when the Bible says don't take the Lord's name in vain there's much more to it than just saying oh Jesus or whatever to take the Lord's name in vain is to use his name for completely dead works to put God's name on stuff that's dead that's got no life does it make sense? in the same way Paul's saying you guys you've actually soiled the name of God to the Gentiles you what were you called to be you were called to be a light to the Gentiles and what are you doing you've got all the rules all the regulations you've got all the moral high ground but where's the fruit and just a sidetrack I mean <clears throat> now you can begin to see why when Jesus came there was such a head-on collision between him and the Pharisees because they had all the rituals they had all the laws they knew everything off pat but they were stone dead spiritually that's why there was the heroin collision that's why I cursed the fig tree because they've got this wonderful covenant but when Jesus gets there there's just so little fruit on the tree it's just religion and Jesus clashed with religion because it was lifeless so the true test of faith for the Jew not circumcision but the heart so as you know in 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 the old testament on the eighth day the baby boy was circumcised as a sign of the covenant he's part of the covenant community when he's 12 or 13 he he learns the torah the first five books of the bible he learns it off by heart and he gets schooled in the in the word and in the torah and then he has his Bar Mitzvah. And he's now officially acknowledged as being part of God's covenant community. So circumcision is a very interesting thing because it was the mark of faith. It was the mark of being part of God's covenant community. And, and Paul, Paul wants to address this as well. So what he's saying is, you've been circumcised. You've got the mark of of being part of God's covenant people. But where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. I don't know if you've ever thought the people of Israel people seem to make out that because it was before Christ they had no relationship with God do you believe that the average Jewish person could be could have a relationship with God it's not a true question yes they could why would God call these people why would he deliver them by the blood of the lamb and them not to have a relationship. Yes, we know they had to go and, and perform the sacrifices, but they were part of it. And people in the Old Testament could relate to God, just not at quite the level that we can through Jesus. And uh, Paul is talking about this whole thing of, of heart religion. And, and he's saying to the, the, the Jews and to Gentiles, the issue is faith. The issue is faith, even for the Jew. That's what he's saying to the Jews. Yes, you're part of God's covenant people. But you've got to personally respond in faith to God. And yes, you can say, I'm circumcised. I'm part of the Jewish nation. I'm part of the covenant. But where's your faith? Because without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, you can't relate to God. And so he's challenging them uh, about that. And so we've come to the end. And I just want to... um, round that off so in verse 25 just read these read last verses so he says for circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law but if you break the law your circumcision becomes uncircumcision <laughs> it's still there physically but it's, it's showing your heart hasn't changed what does Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six 26 say I call it the Chris Barnard uh, scripture a new heart I'll give you says the Lord ezekiel speaking to old covenant people he's not speaking to new covenant people yes we we see the wonderful benefit of it that in jesus we get a new heart but he's speaking to the old covenant people he says a new heart i'll give you and a new spirit i'll put in you i'll take out your heart of stone and i'll give you a heart of flesh and so for the jew you can be circumcised physically you can go through the torah you can go through your prayers and all your rituals but if you're not circumcised in your heart If your heart's not being renewed by God in the Spirit, it's just dead works. So he says then in verse 27, Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keep the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you guys think you are so good because you're part of the covenant. You're circumcised. You can physically see you are a Jew. But he says, now here's the deal. Here's Gentiles got no mark. They're not in the covenant community. But they're living in a way that actually shames you. So he says, um, uncircumcised but keep the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, capital letter, the Holy Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And I want to just give you a cross-reference um, scripture where Paul talks in Colossians, and he says um, that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised. Now he's speaking to new covenant people. He says, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So, isn't that interesting? Now listen to this. So circumcision, they get physically cut, right? There's blood. And what happened when the first Christian message got preached today at Pentecost? It says they were cut to the heart. There's the cutting. God God opens the heart. And people cry out for salvation. He circumcises our heart. And there's a sense in which as we walk in faith, It's like, I'm just saying it's like we need an ongoing circumcision. I don't know about you, but there are times when I I, I almost say it with a bit of fear and trembling when I say, I I know it's like a very crude sort of picture, but I I say, God, would you just scrape my heart? Do you know what I mean? You can get a bit of crustacean on. Do you hear what I'm saying? We can get a little bit hard, a little bit distant, and to me it's fearful things to say okay god come with a blade and just cut some of this off because i want it open i want it living i don't i don't want scabs and i don't want layers on does it make sense and so we we, we are the true circumcision if you go and study galatians that whole book that whole letter is about circumcision because now you've got all these wonderful christians they 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 filled with the holy spirit they're on fire for god but now the Judaizers come in and now they say, no, no, you can be a Christian, but you must get circumcised. You, you, know, you, you are a Christian, but you must do this. And so they, they slip him back into the law. And Paul says, no, 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 you, you, you've been completely born again. You are born of the Spirit. And um, you've been circumcised in the heart. You don't need physical circumcision. You don't need those rules and regulations and rituals. That's, that was for a time and it's over. Yours now is, is a heart faith. We hope you enjoyed this message from City on a Hill Church International. For more content and ways to connect, visit www.coah.co.za. Thanks for listening.